You're listening to KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM and on the web at koop.org. Welcome to Issues for Your Tissues, the definitive discourse on reproductive health and well-being with your host, Katie Vitale. The views and opinions expressed on Issues for Your Tissues may not necessarily reflect those of Co-op, its board of directors, or anyone else anywhere else. The information offered is not a substitute for the advice of a licensed medical professional, which I am not. Thanks for tuning in to Issues for Your Tissues. Welcome back to Issues for Your Tissues. I'm your host, Katie Vitale. I am, you know, as always, excited to be joining you, dear listeners, uh, this evening, this Thursday evening here in Austin, Texas. You might be tuned in at 91.7 FM, KOOP, HD1, HD3, Hornsby, or you might be tuned in on the World Wide Web anywhere in, in the world, even in the universe. It's getting there, I promise. Uh, that's koop.org, where you can also find the Issues for Your Tissues show page, which has the links to the Facebook and the blog and the iTunes, where you can subscribe to the podcast. It has it has all kinds of stuff for you to uh, make this a more uh, interactive experience while you listen, listen to all the Issues for Your Tissues. Uh, my guest tonight is... Uh, He's been a, a regular this year trying to help us decipher the uh, sometimes nonsensical 
progress, regress of the Texas legislature. Thank you, Teddy Wilson, for joining us yet again to try to uh, parse out what's been going on in special session because uh, it's it's wrapping up quickly, but there's there's a lot going on and more tomorrow. And let's let's just get started in there. Can you um can you give us uh, kind of a what do we need to know right now? Maybe that's the best place to start. Well, uh, first off, thanks a lot for having me on again, and howdy to everybody that's listening. Um, it's always a pleasure to be on. Well, I would say the first thing you should know uh, for our listeners about the Texas Special Session is that uh, we are coming into the final couple weeks here. Um, special sessions, uh, when they are called by the governor, are for 30 days, and state lawmakers have 30 days to consider uh, any any items that the governor puts on his agenda. Um, and as we saw in early July, uh, the governor put 20 different items on his agenda. I believe there has been a couple different items that have been added to the agenda, um, uh, but for the most part, uh, we're in the final stages of the of the legislative session. And uh, to kind of give you uh, a status of, of where everything is, um, what we saw was the Senate moved very quickly uh, in the first uh, week of the special session uh, to pass um, uh, nearly all of the uh, items that the uh, governor had placed on his agenda uh, that first uh, week and that first weekend, especially at the special session, uh, the the Senate uh, moved rather quickly with with just uh, committee hearing after committee hearing, followed by uh, floor vote after floor vote, and they really pushed uh, the governor's agenda forward. And so, what we've seen in the last uh, uh, couple weeks is that. Uh, now everything has moved to the House, and in kind of a reversal of what, the way that uh, the the Texas legislature and just in general most state legislatures work is that the the Senate is is the body that really pushes legislation and passes a lot of uh, more right wing, more extreme measures, and the House is where uh, everything is deliberate. Uh, and, and moves more slowly, um, and a lot of that has to do with the House leadership. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is uh, that the House has passed a couple of those sunset items that the uh, governor put on his agenda. Um, the governor set this up so that the state legislature had to first pass some sunset items, uh, which are basically what happens is uh, every every session, there are different state agencies that come up for review, and the, the legislature basically has to uh, vote to approve to, to continue those uh, those agencies' uh, uh, operations. And so, once those agenda items have been approved, uh, then it was basically open season for just a an assortment of different uh, uh, conservative uh, priorities. Um, and the House has moved rather slowly on most of them. Uh, they have had a, a few committee hearings on, on different items, um, and the bills that have been sent over from the 
from the uh, Senate are also moving slowly through the House. So uh, a lot of this is just waiting and seeing um, what the leadership in the House uh, decides to do with different different items. Right. So when we uh, when we're talking about the things that people listeners might be most um, most interested in or uh, have been following since the regular session, things like the uh, bathroom bill and the abortion bills that are that are currently have all gotten through the Senate and are now um, in the in the House's realm. uh what what do we think, or do you have a prognosis on uh, on when those are? Because I haven't seen committee dates yet for Irina. Committee votes on on those um, on all on each of those the three abortion bills and the bathroom bill. But again, I haven't I haven't been able to research it today. But so I'm not sure what's happening. Things can move pretty quickly once there's a committee meeting. It seems like in the Senate that they they uh, approve those things the same day rather than taking much much time um, to get a lot of uh, public input or uh, anything else. Is that, is this what's like, is this normal? Because I, I just don't remember it ever being this, uh, this quick in the Senate. Well, um, I I am not one that's really going to use the term normal anymore. Uh. (laughs) That's a good call right there. In, in, during uh, our current, political environment, it feels like any time uh, you use the word uh, normal or norms or, uh, you know, out of the ordinary, um, you're, you're setting yourself up uh, just to be uh, yet again surprised. Um, you know, Texas uh, moves fast on a lot of these things. Thankfully, it doesn't move as fast as things can develop in, in Washington, D.C., um, you know, some of my rewire colleagues that cover uh, Congress and, and the Trump administration, um, they have their hands full uh, with with reporting and all of that. But here in Texas, uh, yeah, the Senate does move uh, at a much faster pace. Um, and uh, I think the main reason behind that is because Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan, uh, uh, Dan Patrick uh, who is uh, the president of the Senate, really controls the agenda there. And as your mis- listeners are probably well aware of, he is um, one of the more right-wing uh, conservative politicians in the state. Uh, he is um, um, what I and would consider kind of a firebrand um, uh, right-wing conservative. And so he's really used the Senate to push his, his agenda. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if I would call it out of the ordinary or, or beyond the norm in, in the rapid pace that he will push his agenda through, but um, it, is, um, uh, it, is, it does make it difficult to follow what the legislature is doing. Right. Um, so let's start with the bathroom bill. Uh, yeah. So the so-called bathroom bill. That's Senate Bill 3. Um, that was introduced by uh, uh, Republican State Senator Louis Kolkhorst out of Brenham. Um, And, of course, this is a a bill that would uh, uh, prevent uh, uh, cities and municipalities and and, um, public schools from uh, 
creating protections for for transgender uh, people. It would it would ban um, uh, schools, public schools, and, and publicly funded charter schools from from uh, uh, allowing uh, transgender uh, uh, students from using the bathroom that that corresponds with their uh, gender identity. Right. I, and, I like to say that it, it is promoting or advancing the the ban of non-discrimination policies, which is uh, illogical. So these just I, I just want to can we just say this is a pro-discrimination and just call it that like moving forward. This is like open open season on discrimination for transgender Texans. Um, so I, and I, I think it's it's horrible and I'm sure the listeners agree. Um, but please keep on. I just like the discrimination part is one thing I really want to emphasize here that this is what they're doing and this is what they're for. Right. And so, you know, and what, what, uh, proponents like, uh, Senator Cohurst and, um, and other lawmakers have, have said about these bills, that they, you know, these are about privacy and safety. Um, and that's the kind of language they're, they're couching these in. And so, um, in the Senate, you know, there, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a just a marathon uh, committee hearing. It was over 10 or 11 hours long. You know, you saw uh, more than 200 people testify during this committee hearing. Uh, and, and then afterwards, it was passed by the committee. And uh, one of the ways that the Senate has been able to move things so quickly is because when legislation is heard uh, on the floor of the House or the Senate, you go through first, second, and third reading. So after a first reading, the bills are then sent to committee for committee hearings, um, and then they are sent back to the floor uh, for two more readings, and you have up and down votes. And so the way the Senate has been uh, moving these bills so quickly is they will go through a second reading, uh, vote the bill up or down, and then... Uh, the bill has to wait until the next uh, calendar day before they can vote on it, and we've seen a lot of midnight votes. So they'll vote uh, to approve a bill on the second reading on a Monday, wait till midnight that, that Tuesday night um, a couple weeks ago, and, and they'll vote on on all the bills that were just voted on for second reading earlier that day. That's one of the uh, the that's uh, one of the ways they're able to move so quickly on these bills. Um, and so Senate Bill 3 has been uh, passed by the Senate um, on a pretty much party-line vote. Uh, and uh, it has been uh, 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 referred uh, over to the House. But uh, since it's been passed by the Senate, uh, it's, uh, it's been, been sitting in the House. It has yet to be referred to a committee. Um, it's unclear if, uh, if uh, House Speaker Strauss is going to um, move forward with that bill. Um, and it's really starting to make a lot of Republicans and a lot of conservatives uh, rather anxious uh, about the prospects of that uh, bathroom bill um, dying during the special session. Um, there have been uh, more and more uh, business groups that have come out uh, against this uh, a bill, uh, the Texas Association of Business, uh, not exactly a, a progressive organization. It was shocking, uh, really. Right. It started running uh, radio ads in uh, uh, across Texas in different media markets. I think they had a million-dollar radio buy. Um, you've had uh, quite a few 
uh, politicians, and in particular some interesting Republican politicians, uh, say some very uh, forceful words about uh, this bill. I mean, of course, uh, uh, House Speaker Strauss, uh, for the last several months, has been uh, kind of chewing around the edges of, of this bill, um, and, and uh, I think he made it very clear in a, in a recent New Yorker article uh, about Texas when he was interviewed for the piece um, you know, he said that uh, he was disgusted uh, by the bill. Um, uh, there's a quote in there where he was uh, responding to some of the uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Patrick's uh, Senate uh, uh, lieutenants, and he said, tell the Lieutenant Governor, I don't want the suicide of a single Texan on my hands. Um, and then you have uh, a, another state uh, senator, uh uh, Byron Cook, who is the chairman of the House, uh, uh, excuse me, State Representative uh, Byron Cook, who's the chairman of the House State Affairs Committee. Um, uh, and that is one of the likely committees this bill would be referred to. And uh, Cook uh, told the Dallas Morning News that he thinks the bill is unnecessary. And then just recently, in the last few days, we've seen... Um, uh, Republican Michael Williams, uh, who who your listeners might remember, um, uh, he's uh, one of the most prominent African American Republicans in Texas, uh, famous for his bow tie, former uh, railroad commissioner, former educational commissioner. Um, you know, he said that uh, uh, he doesn't think the bill is necessary, um, and he said that. Uh, to the Texas Monthly, he said, show me the evidence that some transgender woman is, is posing a threat to them, them being women and children. So uh, right now it's really unclear what what uh, that bill is, uh, the future is for that bill going forward. Um, I imagine that there's going to be a lot more heat turned up on uh, members of the state house and, and uh, the house leadership there to to move that bill forward. We've already seen uh, today there was a, a, a rally of uh, several um, right-wing conservative Christian organizations and, and uh, conservative Christian pastors on the Capitol steps there today um, uh, trying to uh, push uh, the House into passing the bill. So um, it remains to be seen what's really going to happen with that. So I want to remind listeners that you're tuned in to Issues for Your Tissues on Co-op Radio. My guest tonight, Teddy Wilson, staff reporter for Rewire News. You can find them at rewire.news. We're talking about the Texas Legislative Special Session going on right now, and you can find out more about the specific bills we're talking about and all of the others, of course, if you go to the TLO, the Texas Legislature Online. That's capital.state.tx.us where uh, I've been um, trying to catch myself up just uh, just before the show on things of, of importance like this bathroom bill. You can, you can search for things by the numbers that we're sharing or um, look for them by keywords, or you, you can do all kinds of things there, which is wonderful. And as soon as committee hearings are scheduled or as soon as things are moving, there, you can get um, email updates on the movement of certain bills so you know when and where to be paying attention or even tuning into the video stream, which is usually working on, on there. So 
that again, capital.state.tx.us. We're going to take a quick break and just be back after one minute with more Issues for Your Tissues. You're listening to Issues for Your Tissues. My guest tonight, Teddy Wilson, staff reporter at Rewire News. We're talking special session, uh, and just he just gave us a scoop on the bathroom bill. I, I'm hoping that it, it, it languishes uh, in committee and, and stays there and is never heard from again. But uh, what do you think the, the prognosis is or the... I mean, should we be expecting a second special session? It seems that in the past, when, when they don't get what they want the first time, they just call it again. Well, it's, it's, it's uh, really difficult to say what may happen um, if, if, the, if the bathroom bill, if, if Senate Bill uh, 3 doesn't uh, get passed and, and doesn't get sent to the governor's desk. Um, I think there are just too many variables at play right now uh, to kind of make a good prediction of what may happen um, as far as a, a second special session. Uh, but what I will say is that I don't, uh, regardless of what happens, I don't think this is the last we've heard of uh, a so-called bathroom bill. I think that this is going to be um, a really big issue uh, in the coming months, particularly uh, in March. I think that uh, we're going to see the Republican primaries here in Texas um, that the bathroom bill and um, LGBTQ rights in general are going to be a big issue um, for uh, Republican primary voters, um, and we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But I think that this is something that's going to uh, split the Republican Party for uh, for the foreseeable future here in, in Texas. And uh, more generally, um, uh, the Republican Party uh, in in other state legislatures and uh, the U.S. more de- uh, as a whole, um, I, I think one of the reasons we're seeing this this split like this, where you're seeing Republicans unable to coalesce around this, is because it's 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 putting Republicans in a difficult position uh, to be between uh, their donors and their voters. Um, so, you know. Uh, business interests, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the Texas Association of Business, and a lot of of of, uh, of the uh, traditional uh, donors to the Republican Party are are really not in favor of this kind of legislation, um, especially after what took place in North Carolina and the impact that had in the backlash to that bill. Um, when North Carolina passed a, a, a bill that was uh, much more restrictive than this version of, of a so-called bathroom bill, but um, it, it, it still had such a significant impact that I think it's, it's really uh, pushed uh, the business interest to be against it. And at the same time, uh, you know, the, the base of the Republican Party, particularly the very conservative base, um, uh, folks that we would consider uh, part of, um, you know, part of the Tea Party type base of the Republican Party that we've seen over the last. We'll be right back with more issues for your tissues and Teddy Wilson in just a moment. Thanks for being tuned in to Issues for Your Tissues. 
I'm your host, Katie Vitale. My guest tonight, Teddy Wilson, staff reporter at Rewire News. You can find them at rewire.news, where he's posted a number of pieces covering the Texas legislature this year. Teddy, we were... I'm sorry I lost you. We were we were just talking um, about the... Uh, about the likelihood of, of special session and the things that could happen and, and Republicans being placed between their donors and their voters and uh, the, the whole milieu uh, that, that, has been, that we've been watching in North Carolina and how um, we, you know, I, I hope are not on a, on a path to follow in their footsteps. Right, right. And, and um just to kind of wrap that up, yeah, I, I'm I'm hesitant to make any predictions about um, the what may come in the near future as far as um, whether or not the governor is going to call another special session. I think that's just something we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. Um, you know, there's only a couple weeks left, but there are are still a lot of bills that are pending in the House and. Um, there are also the possibility that, you know, with some of these bills, there's been amendments to different bills and, and uh, different versions passed by both the House and the Senate. And so uh, with some of these bills, we're going to have to see whether or not uh, the uh, legislature will uh, have to go to conference committees for different bills. Um, I think we're just going to see a, a lot of activity going um, towards the end of the special session. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of waiting and seeing, or maybe not waiting and seeing, we've got uh, some things going on tomorrow, some um, some movement on some bills that, that I think are interesting to listeners. So uh, listeners know that, like you said earlier, the Senate passed the three anti-abortion bills within the first week, and that includes the, um, the prohibition of any dollars going to Planned Parenthood, and that just that doesn't mean um, only um, well-woman exams and things. That's any money. So uh, sex ed programs in schools or in the communities or what, anything, just all any money for any reason, no matter how helpful or how much it can improve the health outcomes for the people that they encounter. So that one was passed by the Senate and um, is in a committee in the House uh, sitting around but not voted on. Then we have the limiting abortion in insurance plans. So that cuts uh, any coverage for abortion from plans that people can buy. So this one is interesting because I, you know, I like to think that this is also in, in them inserting themselves into a, a relationship between a consumer and business uh, where I, I wish they, they wouldn't. So that one also went through the Senate and uh, has been passed by a House committee. And then we have the uh, abortion reporting requirements that's been passed by both the Senate and the House. And that one is pretty heinous because it, um, they already ask for too much information, I think, and and I think the the uh, the thinking or the I'm using derisive air quotes the logic behind this one is that they're going to find out that uh, from extensive increased reporting requirements that there are actually more complications from abortion. They're trying to trying, but they won't 
uh, show demonstrate that it's actually harmful when it isn't, and it will never be as dangerous as carrying a pregnancy to term. Um, of those bills, uh, which do you think? What do you think is going to happen there? Well, um, we can start off uh, with the um, with the with the bills that we've seen to. Um, there are a version of, uh, uh, you know, the bills that are uh, meant to defund Planned Parenthood, right? So um, Republican lawmakers in, in Texas and elsewhere have, over the last decade or more, really spent a lot of time um, uh, trying to pass laws that would prevent uh, the state um, from uh, uh, providing any money to Planned Parenthood in, in any form, right? So whether it is uh, reimbursements through Medicaid or or in this, it is um, targeting, you know, cities or counties or, or any other entity that uh, contracts with Planned Parenthood to provide uh, uh, any number of services, um, primarily... Um, these services usually have to do with things like comprehensive sex education or um, providing other types of family planning services. Um, and, you know, it is already uh, illegal both federally and in Texas um, for any funds to go uh, towards abortion services with very few exceptions. Um, so these bills are, are really just designed to go after any kind of funding stream uh, that may be going uh, to Planned Parenthood. Um, and so, you know, we had a bill in the, in the Senate, Senate Bill 4, that was passed uh, by the Senate um, uh, uh, in July, at the end of July. And um, it, like you said, you know, it's been received by the House. It's been yet to be uh, assigned a committee. So... Um, it's difficult to, to prognosticate on what may happen with that. I would say that that bill is probably out of the, um, you know, the three kind of topics of uh, anti-choice bills we have here pending in the state legislature. I think that bill um, would have the best chances of, of passing in some form or another and being sent to the governor. Um, and then we have... Uh, uh, there are two different types of the reporting requirements. Um, so there is um, one, uh, uh, a couple of different bills that would require uh, doctors and, and uh, uh, who perform abortions to submit reports to the state on any kind of complications. Um, and it would uh, really dramatically increase the amount of, of, of reporting requirements for physicians. You know, the, uh, the original, as the bill was originally written, uh, any, any complications that rose from abortion, the doctor would have to uh, report that to, to the state in a formal report within 72 hours of the diagnosis. It was amended in the House um, to be uh, three working days. And so I guess that's a little bit less egregious. But like you mentioned, um, that these reporter requirement bills are essentially um, uh, a, a two-pronged kind of um, uh, uh, assault on, on abortion providers. So you, when you increase the reporting requirements, you increase the, the, the bureau, bureaucratic um, regulations, um, and, and that puts a burden on providers to, to have to meet all these different criteria. 
Um, but also, it's it's an attempt to uh, really build kind of some kind of evidence based um, uh, for a lot of the claims that uh, anti-choice lawmakers and activists make about the safety of abortion. You know, uh, one of the things that you heard during the committee hearings and on the floor debate about the reporting requirements is that uh, they don't think abortion is safe. And they think that uh, the Texas uh, reporter requirements and the data that Texas collects on uh, complications to abortions just isn't accurate. Well, this um, is a pretty ironic, given the fact that this is the most dangerous place to have a baby in the entire country. Like, right, right. I don't, I don't see them putting any much emphasis on, on reporting requirements for childbirth. I, I, right, and it's and it's also interesting because Texas has one of the most stringent uh, regimes for reporting requirements, and yet they still have, um, you know, among the lowest uh, complication rates uh, for abortion, which mirrors just complication rates for abortion in general. So, um, in the last couple years. Um, that there is available data um, for the Texas Vital Statistics. You know, all these statistics are collected and analyzed by the Texas Department of, of State Health Services. Um, I think in 2015, we saw, I think it was 30 complications out of more than 50,000 abortions performed in the state. Uh, 2014, I believe, it was 22 uh, out of more than 50,000. So we're talking about uh, you know, a fraction of a percent uh, as far as uh, complications related to abortion. And when you look at um, other states um, that have a similar uh, uh, reporting requirements, you'll see the same thing. So in Oklahoma, for example, um, they have uh, a lot of data there. They have probably the most stringent reporting requirements in the country. Um, and they have data going back about 12 or 13 years. And when you look at the last two years from 2016 and 2015, um, they do have less abortions that are performed in, in Oklahoma, about uh, uh, between four and 5,000 per year. Uh, but you see the same amount of, of complications. I believe in 2016, it was, I want to say it was 29. And, and the year before that, it, it might have been uh, 25 or so. So, um, uh, part of this is, is, is just, you know, they are, uh, just looking for data that just isn't there. Um, I mean, when you look at, um, numbers put together by the, uh, Center for Disease Control, uh, the numbers put together by Guttmacher, and, uh, any number of studies that look at the complications that arise from abortions, Abortion is one of the safest medical procedures that is performed out there. So, um, and then you have um, uh, an, another couple bills that would. Um, uh, well, you have a, another re- reporting requirement bill, but it's specific to uh, minors. And so, um, anytime a, a minor comes in, a uh, 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 a pregnant person under the age of 18 uh, to obtain an abortion, uh, the physician would have to submit uh, a report to the state um, in the in the same kind of manner. Um, and one of the other things about this too is that um, 
not only are, are these lawmakers calling to question the data and, and saying that, you know, abortion providers are providing inaccurate data, they're also calling into question uh, the state officials um, who collect this data um, because as a part of the regulations and the laws that the state has, uh, state lawmakers have passed, uh, every clinic that provides abortion care in the state has to uh, uh, submit to an annual inspection by state uh, state health officials. And part of that inspection is an audit of their annual report on the number of abortions and complications that take place in that clinic. Um, so these aren't just um, numbers that um, the clinics and, and abortion providers are submitting to the state and the state isn't following up on. All these numbers and, and, and reports are audited and, and reviewed by the state every single year. Yeah, and it seems like the state legislators, at least the ones who are promoting this sort of enhanced reporting requirements, uh, I, I'm waiting for them to yell fake, fake stats, fake news or fake science or fake numbers or um, just anything that people don't like these days. They're they're just discounting entirely, and that's I feel like that's what's happening here. Um, and one of the things that I I wanted to mentioned like the i know that this of course we know that any any regulation that is or extra regulation on minors is um doubly doubly awful since uh minors i think should be should have the the least issue getting an abortion when they need one and that they have statistically the most to lose or the most to um you know the the furthest to be put back by having a, a child so early and with our teen pregnancy rate in our repeat teen pregnancy rates where they are, uh, this is this seems really insulting to a lot of a lot of young women. Um, so I, I encourage you guys, if you're interested, you can find out more about these bills at the Texas Legislature online. It's capital.state.tx.us. You can also read pieces by uh, my guest Teddy Wilson, staff reporter at Rewire News at rewire.news. Uh, you can find out more information all over the place. It's available to you, and uh, it's it just seems that that this is um, all of these things seem regularly insulting to to most Texans. Um, but the the reporting requirements also, instead of being able to be completed by staff members of the clinics, uh, require more time from the physicians, which hadn't been the case up to this point. Right. You know, and I was, I've been talking to, um, you know, different abortion providers about this and, and different reproductive health care experts uh, about the impact that these different laws will have. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to the uh, reporting requirements, um, it, it doesn't specifically affect access in the kind of direct way that, say, admitting privileges or the ambulatorial uh, surgical center requirements did in HB2. Uh, but what this does is, is it just um, uh, creates more burden and, and, and time requirements for um, the physicians that are providing this abortion care. You know, because of, of the laws that have been passed by Texas lawmakers, physicians that provide abortion care in Texas at, at, at clinics and, and different uh, facilities um, you know, they are intimately involved in many stages of 
of the process of, of terminating a pregnancy. You know, the, the physician has to be there for um, these so-called informed consent um, uh, counseling sessions. They have to be there for sonograms. Uh, they, they have to, um, you know, they are obviously um, there uh, performing the abortion. And then if, you know, because of, if you add on to this, you know, more reporting requirements that they have to physically um, fill out and, and submit, um, you know, this is uh, a, a lot of time that is, is taking away um, from the time that they could be spending with patients and on patient care, as opposed to um, so many of these different uh, regulatory burdens that they have to, that they have to tackle. Right. Be, this is a, would be against the, the tenets of the um, American Medical Association and Nurses Association, which want uh, every person in every licensed medical professional to be used to the maximum of their licensure. So uh, an ultrasound should be able to be performed by uh, an ultrasound technician uh, and, you know, these, these things that the doctor is doing can be done correctly by others and reviewed by doctors, just like, uh, what was the example? Like when you go get an x-ray, the doctor isn't doing your x-ray, the, the x-ray technician is, and then the doctor reviews the findings and uh, makes a diagnosis. So it's, it's really a, a waste, and it's purposefully wasting the time and resources of the clinics. And uh, this is indirectly, uh, well... This is hurting, hurting women, hurting families uh, across the state. Uh, there's an, another bill. The other one I wanted to get into a little bit was um, the, I don't think we talked about this yet, limiting the uh, abortion coverage in insurance policies. And that one is, I think that one is uh, going to be a mess, even whether they pass it or not, just based on uh, the, the federal outlook on, on health care. I'm still doubtful that, that that's the last attempt that's going to be made federally to um, manipulate health care into a tax credit for the rich. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering how you see that, that bill playing out. Right. Well, um, you know, that, that is uh, referring to Senate Bill 8. Uh, it was uh, one of those collection of bills that was passed by the Senate um, uh, in late July, and you know these bills, um, uh, what, what they, uh, you know, they have been introduced uh, in Texas before. They've been introduced in several other states. Um, you know, these bills essentially make it uh, illegal for for healthcare uh, plans to provide uh, uh, coverage for abortion as part of. Uh, uh, a healthcare plan that you would buy, say, on the exchange. Uh, they make it a requirement that if um, you want to have a, abortion covered by your health insurance, you have to buy a, a separate uh, rider plan uh, as a part of that. Um, and their argument is that they uh, don't think people should have to um, pay for abortion uh, care if they buy health insurance, um, you know, and so this does make it more difficult um, uh, uh, to to cover the cost of, of abortion care. You know, um, in in Texas, um, uh, it, it depends on on how far you you are into your pregnancy, but um, 
you know, a, abortion care can cover and can cost anywhere from you know, uh, three or four hundred dollars to to upwards of uh, of uh, one or two thousand dollars, depending on how far you get uh, get into your pregnancy. So um, these are not uh, cheap procedures for the most part. I mean, um, if you're uh, a working, you know, if you're a working mother, you know, and and you already have children and and you decide to terminate a pregnancy, um, uh, this is not uh, something that's going to be easy for you to afford. And now these these laws that prohibit uh, health insurance plans from covering um, uh, ab- abortion are just going to make it that harder to access. That's right. Uh, and the same or similar language has been in the uh, is in the federal bill that it disqualifies any any plan from. Uh, in the exchange, uh, not just in Texas, but anywhere in the nation from, um, or I'm going to say the previous bill's wording, and I'm sure because the version before that uh, had it too, that that future versions written by Republicans will include language uh, within the first few pages, mind you, that uh, that would exclude any plan that has any coverage like that from being an eligible plan, like one that would keep you from having to pay a penalty and would require, if you wanted to have that kind of coverage, to, to purchase uh, abortion coverage, which is that's absurd. Because uh, women pay for things all the time. I mean, we're not, I'm, I'm not trying to get myself or insert, women aren't trying to insert themselves into other people's, well, I would say some women, sure, but uh, okay, there are a lot of people who aren't trying to be in, in somebody else's doctor-patient relationship, and that's what it seems that, that these folks are doing. Um, so it, it's, it's a little bit upsetting and it seems to be discriminatory and I don't think they can pull the, uh, the Hobby Lobby. It's okay because we're banning contraception coverage for the men too, uh, because here men, um, uh, cis men can't get abortions. So it's, we'll see what happens to this, but I'm hoping that if it does pass that this could be. Uh, struck somewhere, somehow, sometime soon. Um, the other thing I wanted to chat with you about, Teddy, and I just want to remind listeners, you're tuned into Issues for Your Tissues. I know that you've been listening the whole time. You already know that I'm your host, Katie Vitale, that my guest tonight is Teddy Wilson, staff reporter at Rewire News. You can find his work at rewire.news. Um, recently, uh, last week, the D-Trip or was it Monday? I think Monday. It seems like forever now uh, because it's been burning a hole in my head for uh, since I read it. The DCCC, which is a Democratic Congressional uh, Campaign, uh, which is a fundraising body for the federal um, House Democrats, and it, it likes to uh, choose races and support them with money that it raises, uh, has said that it will not make a litmus test of of uh, abortion for any of its any people who are trying to get support any candidates who are trying to get support as Democrats through them, and uh, I found it very upsetting, and I didn't want to go any longer or wait till next week to try to share this with you guys since it's it's been bothering me since Monday. Um, Teddy, wh- what do you think they're they're thinking with this? We saw what happened. With the Mello in you know, the, just a few months ago, Heath Mello, the guy who was running in Nebraska and had been a legislator there, 
who had promoted and advocated anti-choice legislation uh, then got 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 to have a promotion got to be promoted by was it DNC um, Perez and uh, and that didn't go over well for him and he lost what what do they think they're doing can you can you just help us out here right right and so um, you know this has been um, uh, kind of a, a a point of discussion um, among Democrats in the last several months. Um, you know, as as uh, the Democratic Party has has tried to um, you know recover from the 2016 election, uh, like we all are, really, um, they are so true. They are t- trying to kind of plot their course forward for for um, the next elections. Um, you know, particularly with a focus on the midterm, and then of course in 2020 and. You know, there was some discussion about this um, uh, when you had um, uh, Tom Perez and and Keith Ellison, um, uh, a congressman from from Minnesota, when there was uh, uh, the debates between um, their supporters about who should uh, be the uh, chairman of the uh, Democratic Party and and what the message should should be. and so now, over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've seen this uh, come up again as as, as Chairman Perez has, has basically said that um, uh, that the DCCC will, um, uh, you know, litmus test is, is is kind of a a nice way of saying that they will be supporting anti-abortion Democrats if they think they can win. Um, and I mean, I understand the thinking behind this. Um, uh, I think that they think that um, they want to create a bigger tent um, uh, and that they want to appeal to um, a larger base of voters. Um, but I also think that they are um, are misinterpreting um, some things that have happened over the last decade, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look back at, at the uh, midterm elections in 2010, uh, during the first term of, of President Obama, uh, you saw the Tea Party wave um, election that year, and, and the Republicans took control of, of, of the House, and they took control of several state legislatures and, and won control of several governorships, and they were able to expand those gains over the next couple of years. And part of that um, uh, Tea Party way of election in 2010 um, was that there were several of the conservative Democrats that made up that uh, that big majority that Nancy Pelosi had built up, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi had built up over um, uh, several election cycles. Um, you know, be especially beginning in 2006, um, it, the height of the Iraq war when Democrats were able to take back control of the House and then the Senate in 2008. And, uh, uh, you know, and uh, so when when we saw so many conservative Democrats uh, uh, lose, you know, you saw that big blue dog, the blue dog coalition lose. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that now you have a a lot of uh, 
uh, of Democrat activists and, and, and strategists thinking that they have to to rebuild that that uh, kind of coalition of, of conservative Democrats. Right. So um, I just wanted to interject. You know, all my listeners are smart and good looking, uh, but I don't know if they're all familiar with the term blue dog. So blue dog is someone who is uh, more conservative or more moderate Democrat as opposed to a yellow dog who would be Democrat all the time. N- no variation. So just right, right, there. right. Yellow dog is much more of a Texas term. A blue yeah. dog is yeah. a national term. Uh, so, yes, there's a difference between blue Blue dog and yellow dog. Even though but, you think blue dog would be more democratic, no, a yellow dog <laughs> is more democratic. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's that tendency to think that uh, you should appeal to more conservative um, folks in different areas of the country. If it, You know, uh, I think I think it's personally reasonable to think that, that candidates should reflect um, kind of the... Uh, values or or the uh, the tone of whatever community they're in, but I think uh, when you look back at the actual makeup of, of of the Democrats within that Blue Dog coalition, you know there was about fifty to sixty uh, conservative Democrats. Um, the the Democrats that were part of that that were anti-choice that was a minority. Uh, when you look at um, you know that that group of Democrats that that um uh was really wielded a lot of power during uh the uh debate and and all the committee hearings and and the, and the run up to the passage of the affordable care act um that group of of less than about less than two dozen uh democratic congressmen led by uh congressman bart stupak of michigan um you know that was less than half of, of 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 that coalition. So I think it's 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 just a, a misreading or or just an ignorance of of what what uh, what it means to to be open to you know more moderate or conservative Democrats. Right. I think that you shouldn't just say that uh, you know the position on abortion is is an indicator of of moderate versus liberal versus conservative. There was plenty of conservative, more moderate Democrats that were very strong on um, uh, pro-choice issues. Uh, one in particular I can think of is, is Congressman Chet Edwards from my area here in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a longtime conservative Democrat, uh, represented, um, uh, you know, he famously was the, the uh, congressman from George W. Bush's uh, district. Um, and he was uh, conservative in many ways, but he was very pro-choice, had a 100% uh, rating from uh, NARAL Pro-Choice of America over several uh, congressional cycles. So I think that um, it is a mistake to think that in order to appeal to a larger base, you have to focus on, on or, or allow um, uh, more anti-choice Democrats within the fold. Right. Last fall, we, we had the majority. We had three million more votes. It's the gerrymandering and voter oppression that I think they should address first before they start throwing rights out. Uh, I wanted to share with you guys a quote from Lindy West, who said it so eloquently in her column this week. Um, she says, 
To legislatively oppose abortion is to be, at best, indifferent to the disenfranchisement, suffering, and possibly even the death of women. At worst, it is to revel in those things, to believe them fundamental to the natural order. So that, that's uh, Lindy West on their decision to, the DTRIP's decision to support anti-choice candidates uh, and in their hopes to gain voters. But we, I feel like we have the voters. Anyhow, uh, I wanted to thank you again, Teddy, for sharing your insight on this special session, on these bills, on, <laughs> on so many things this evening. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Right, right. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later, and uh, and uh, thank you so much for your reporting. Right. See you all later. Bye. So that was uh, Teddy Wilson, staff reporter from Rewire News, and uh, I want to say bye uh, from Issues for Your Tissues. Please tune in next week, 6 to 7 p.m., 91.7 FM, KOOP.org. 